into Geek Elite Radio. Good luck. The future comes, and now my watch begins. It shall not end until my death. I shall miss no game, withhold no news, report all rumors. I shall wear no jerseys, and plead allegiance to no side. I shall live and die on my webpage. I am the word in the darkness. I am the watcher of the TV. I am the megaphone that informs the realms of geek. I pledge my hands and name to the Geek's Watch, for the Geeks and all the Geeks to come. That's right, we are the Geek's Watch. We are here to talk about uh, last week's episode of Game of Thrones, which was, I always forget the names, it's uh, The Broken Man, right? (laughs) Correct. Okay, so uh, yeah, we do a week after the episode airs just so that everybody gets a chance to watch it before they come and listen to us spoil everything. So first we want to do is we need to get into the Geek's Watch. We need to get past the gates. We need to get you that news, that news that's falling around the world, John. Uh, what's your first story? Uh, the first gameplay footage of Injustice 2 has been revealed online, and it looks very promising. We're going to be getting some new interesting characters uh, including Supergirl, uh, um, Gorilla Grodd, and uh, Atrocitus of the Red Lanterns. I also saw that we were going to be getting Black Manta. Oh, yeah. And also possibly a cameo appearance by Dexstar, the Red Lantern cat. <laughs> That's terrible. I don't No, no. <laughs> it's so dumb. He's, he's going to be the most OP character on there, just you watch. <laughs> um... I, no, I, I I can't abide that. I never liked Dexter in the comic book. I think the story the story where he, like, I when they first introduced him, I thought he was gonna be like a space cat, but then he ends up being an Earth cat. <laughs> and I was like, why? Why not just leave him as a space cat, like Rocket Raccoon? Um, maybe they just want to show you that deep down inside, all cats are actually like these hell spawn creatures that, <laughs> if only they could, they would destroy us all. Oh, I think we all know that. I mean, well, then again, they wouldn't have anybody that, to cater to them, so they wouldn't want to destroy us all. Well, they keep a few around. <sighs> Probably, true. You know, the crazy cat ladies and <laughs> some of them hipsters. Okay, uh, I have that... Um... Kevin Smith has revealed that Mallrats or Mallrats 2 or Mallbrats is no longer going to be a movie sequel, but a 10 episode TV series. He's working with um, Universal because they're the ones who still own the rights to it. And uh, they have decided they're going to turn it into a TV show, still keeping all the cast and keeping the same uh, Exton Square Mall as the setting. But, uh, where they're going to have this TV show at, they don't know yet. Pretty sure it'd probably work best at, like, Netflix or something. Yeah, or Hulu, I'm sure. Because I think he used to have a Hulu show where they talked about movies or something. Oh, really? Um, yeah, I don't think he has it anymore. Because I haven't seen any updates to it since, like, uh, Batman The Dark Knight Rises. Ah, wow. Okay. Um, but, yeah, it was he, it would be Kevin Smith doing, like, a 
a panel with a bunch of people that just watched the movie with him, and they would just discuss it. No reviews, really, just kind of what they thought about it. And it was interesting for a little while, but I, like I said, I haven't seen them do any new episodes since then. Mm, yeah, well, that, that, could, that could definitely be true. I mean, he has a lot going on over at the uh, at uh, his Smodcast channel and his own personal YouTube channel. Which, you know, it could also be a YouTube television show now. I mean, it's the way things go with uh, YouTube true. Red. Um, now, I have mixed feelings about this 10-episode thing he wants to do because... I mean, as much as a fan of Kevin Smith as I am, and I do like his work, um, like, <laughs> to quote what he said about, was it Beetlejuice Part 2? was no. like, didn't we really say all we needed to say in the first one? <laughs> um, and I, I don't see it being very serial. I, I just, also, if... Well, assuming it goes into what he was originally planning for the sequel, which was his description, not mine, it was supposed to be Mallrat or Die Hard in a Mole. <laughs> yeah, but that was that was Stretching a long time ago, wasn't it? So, it was, I guess. I mean, and things could change. I mean, the, I guess they could make fun of all the new tropes that have come out since about how kids don't hang out at malls anymore, which, by the way, is not true. I see them everywhere. <laughs> um, I don't know. I mean, it, it, as long as it gives us more opportunity for him to really stretch out his writing muscles again, because, like I said, I'm a fan of his. I just don't think he's put out any quality workout in a while. I, I'm not looking forward to yoga hosers. <laughs> that's, I'm looking. I'm really looking forward to yoga hosers. So, I think. I mean, obviously, that's kind of the way his uh, movie style is going now. I mean, I think it, it is interesting that he already had a script written for. Moritz 2 as a movie so now that he'd have to stretch it into a 10 episode series you know obviously there's gonna have to be some stuff thrown in um but like with with obviously with yoga hosers is all it's it's kind of like hey i want to see my daughter in a movie so with mall brats i'm assuming it's going to be the children of all the cast that we saw in the first movie so it you know we'll, we'll see kids their kids having to interact at the mall and stuff like that and um and, you know, that's kind of just the mentality. That's the mentality of a lot of people in Hollywood. You know, look at Adam Sandler. As soon as he had kids, his movies all changed in another direction to be more family-oriented. Same with, uh, you know, Ice Cube. I mean, how many barbershop movies has he made? It's not nothing like Friday or uh, uh, Menace to, not Menace to Sight. What's the, the one where he... Uh, his Boys brother, in the Hood. Boys in the Hood, yeah. So, there you go. Well, I'll give it a chance. Let's see. <laughs> I'll, 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 yeah, I'll definitely give it a chance. I think more. Yeah. I, I I have a feel. I mean, as a ten episode series, and I think the best place for, especially since his comedy is a little bit more on the uh, raunchier side uh, most of the time, it, it'd be best to go to Netflix, especially since he's already wanting to do a deal with Netflix. And this is what brings me to another story: is that uh, he wants to direct episodes of Daredevil and maybe The Defenders. So yeah, I could see that he he talks about how. Uh, well, the article talks about how he and Joe Quesada kind of revitalized uh, Daredevil as a comic book back in the 90s when he made the Guardian Devil series for uh, Marvel Knights. And he talks about how uh, I feel very at home in the Flash world, so 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 much so that I'd love to do, do the others. I even told Joe Quesada, we worked on Daredevil together back in the day. I wrote it. He drew it. I said, dude, I want to direct Daredevil, man. That'd be wild to be able to do it in real life. Let's let's co-direct it. 
that'd be cool, just like we did the book. We could co-direct an episode and then, like, take the passion from the page to the screen. Then Smith told IGN, I'm going to try and make the Daredevil thing happen. Every time I talk to Casada or Jeff Loeb, I'm like, hey, when are we going to, when are we going back down to the cameras? So, there you go. I mean, he's obviously got a passion for Daredevil. Uh, why not? He's, he's, uh, he's got the experience behind the camera. Let him, let him do it. His Flash episode is one of the higher praised episodes. Yeah, it sounds like it'd be right in his wheelhouse. You know, he has previous experience. He's familiar with the producers now. You know, he's got that uh, comfort zone thing going on. So, yeah, bring it on. Exactly. That's how I feel. I mean, obviously, uh, it would be a different type of, of directing for him because I don't think he's used to doing too much action directing. I think Cop Out was probably his only action film. <laughs> Uh, looks like Yoga Hosers has some some action scenes in it. I don't know if you've seen the trailer or not. Yeah, that's why I mentioned earlier. <laughs> <laughs> the uh, Nazi Broadwurst is just like WTF. <laughs> yeah, but that's you know it's it's supposed to be part of his horror ser- series trilogy or whatever you want. To, he says like, the Canadian horrors. Oh, his his Great Up North. Tri- yeah, his Great. Yeah, like exactly. But like, it, I mean, they're all, I mean. Tusk was obviously a body horror movie. Um, Yoga Hosers is, I don't know, kind of horror movie that's supposed to be, but it's like a, you know, a creature horror, I guess. And Moose Jaws will be uh, Jaws with a moose. So those are all horror movies. <laughs> well, uh, horror in quotations, I think. But yeah, I'll, I'll give him. He's, he's trying, you know, he's definitely branching out and. You can't blame an artist for wanting to try something different. Just hope it works out. There you go. Uh, Did you have another story? Uh, Yeah, only one more piece of news. It was kind of slow this week for me over here. But uh, Marvel looks like they might be returning to Comic-Con after a year of absence. Um, They famously bowed out of Comic-Con last year, not really having much of a presence. uh, Reportedly, because they said they didn't want to compete with DC, who was going to have a full slate with um, Batman v Superman and Suicide Squad and they just decided you know what we'll skip this one out uh, rumors indicate that it's because they just didn't want any footage stolen and then posted on YouTube and they're being very protective of their stuff right now but yeah, but like then, I said all reports are pointing to them go ahead I was going to say yeah but then they just the later that year they went to or like a month later they went to D23 and they, they showed all their stuff I mean I guess you could say that Disney is bet has a better uh, security that they you know the footage wouldn't get out, but they you know they went and posted the footage later anyways. It's I mean they I, this is like it seems like they do this every other year. They they drop out of being at, at San Diego Comic Con and then the next year they don't. And I just think it's a thing that they have with Disney. That way Disney has some of the first time exclusives too. Yeah, most likely they have, they like to do things in their own backyard. Yeah. Yeah, have some more control over everything. But uh, should they make an appearance, it looks like people can look forward to some teases dealing with Guardians of the Galaxy and Doctor Strange. That's uh, that would be pretty cool. I mean, uh, they, I, the Doctor Strange um, banners have already gone up on this in the San, downtown San Diego. Uh, however, I do know that DC is doing a big push to make Suicide Squad a, a big part of San Diego Comic Con this year, especially since it's going to be coming out right around that time. 
Well, I won't be there this year. I'm going to be very, very far away for the first time ever, but um, I'm kind of hoping they do something fun like they did for The Dark Knight. They had like one of the coolest uh, augmented reality games out there, starting with the, the phone number that was done in Skywriting, followed by Ha Ha Ha. And that was just the beginning of this like really crazy like scavenger hunt. I remember that. That was pretty cool. So yeah. it would be cool if they were to do something like that again. Um, I know with the the Suicide Squad, they've already promoted like uh, you could win uh, tickets to San Diego Comic Con uh, dressing up like Suicide Squad or something like that. Um, so it would be uh, it would be within Warner Brothers' best interest to do some more alternative advertising like that. Yeah, it's fun. As long as they don't put any LED boxes mysteriously hidden in places. You don't want a repeat of the Aqua Teen Hunger Force fiasco. <laughs> this is true. <laughs> um, last piece of information, last piece of news I have is uh, 20th Century Fox uh, put out a casting uh, sheet for a uh, role that doesn't directly say what movie it's for, but it does say... Uh, that it is 20th Century Fox are seeking a 11 to 14 year old girl to play the role of Zoe in a brand new movie. 11 to Zoe, 11 to 14 year old girl, still a child, but a one, a wounded badass, a pup, a pound puppy raised in captivity in time of battle without support systems of normal childhood. Uh, she has no family and until now has never left the compound in which she was born. She has an authentic intensity, her expressions and body language speak volumes without words. Once released in the outside world, everything is new, every experience and every image a first. This does not mean everything is wonderful or wondrous. Some things she seems she sees, things we might regard as conventional, may scare her or anger her and bring and things uh, we find interesting may bore her. She has not been instructed in, in many social conventions. She can eat like an animal. She studies and often mimics people's behavior. Behavior. She has a high IQ, but is also a temperamental, impulsive, and feral creature that can raise genuine mayhem. She's a girl that has never been kissed, looking for a real girl, not made up or done up, also with genuine edge, not made up or put on. Uh, martial arts or gymnastics experience experience preferred but not necessary but actress must be extremely physical and able to improvise scenes without necessarily resorting to speech do not play it cute so it also goes on to say that wolverine is currently filming under the under the name war under the code name of juarez in new orleans so i mean that does sound a lot like what x23 should be uh i like the fact that they're looking for someone 14 11 to 14 because everybody else on the internet is trying to cast like Daisy Ridley as X23 and uh you know I'm like this that she's just too old the 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 character is supposed to be like a a teen a preteen yeah my personal favorite pick was Summer Glau yeah Summer Glau is almost what in her mid 30s 30 probably <laughs> yeah so it I, yeah the whole description reminded me a lot of Hannah too for some reason well when I watched Hannah that's I all like, I thought oh, was smart it was X23 <laughs> yeah so um yeah I mean like if they can find someone with all those characteristics or can at least fake them that'd be kind of cool and go younger and that's actually kind of smart too because that means you can hang on to that 
actor for longer. Yeah, exactly. You won't have a situation like Kevin or Hugh Jackman needing <laughs> to bow up. You just won't be able to do it for much longer. Well, I mean, look at like uh, I don't know about that. Look at uh, uh, J.K. Simmons and the picture of him as uh, working out. You know, that's a oh, crazy man, picture. Right? He's what sixty-eight <laughs> years old. Uh, if he can still Jack do it, Simmons. No yeah. kidding. Uh, but no, I was going to say, um, I think that, uh, I like the idea that they said they, look, they would like someone that's been a gymnastics or martial arts and stuff. Uh, but I really think a dancer would be the best thing because if you look at, uh, X-23's moves in the comic book, she's, she flows so much better than a regular gymnast or, uh, or, uh, a martial artist. It's, it's more, it's more like dance moves. <coughs> at least that's Her how I see it. power is grace. <laughs> Yeah, I mean, um, obviously, a, yeah. a young, a little, a young female can move differently than a uh, mature older man. True enough. Even though Hugh Jackman does have experience as a dancer, I think this is true. That's neither here nor there. Um, <laughs> yeah, sounds interesting. Um, that could be. Do you think they'll be introducing X twenty three in the next Wolverine movie, or it's going to be like its own standalone with only like a tenuous connection? Well, I mean, they're filming the the, the third Wolverine movie right now. Could they still get her in there? Yeah, I, I could see that. I think it would be rushed, and well, I don't know. It'd probably it'd, it'd probably be the equivalent of Spider Man's cameo in in Civil War, and by cameo I mean big ass part. Uh, <laughs> So I mean, and he came in very—he came in pretty late to the production. So I don't see why they couldn't do the same with X twenty three. But then again, you'd have to get a, a, a young person to um, learn roles and pages really quick. So that might not be a good idea. Um, she'll definitely probably show up in the next X Men movie, even if there's no there's no Wolverine. I'm not super versed into X twenty three or any of her. Uh comic book exploits but uh it sounds promising so let's you know i'll give it a shot and that's all we can ask for right yeah <laughs> all right well that's it for news let's go ahead and get into our lineages this week and uh i think it's a pretty good one scene is how he made his reappearance in uh this last episode the broken man which i have to give kudos to you you called it you called that he was going to be showing up or in a, almost the exact way you said uh Someone from the church would might have found him. Now, whether or not they use him as a as the the person to uh, fight in the trial by combat is another story. But uh, yeah, he was found by the people of the seven gods, the church of the seven gods. Yes, yeah, the faith of the seven. That's right. In, by, in case in anybody's still wondering, uh, I'm sorry. What? I was saying, in case anybody's still wondering, we're talking about the Hound. <laughs> That's right, I didn't say his name yet. <laughs> <laughs> so go ahead, let's let's hear your lineage about the Hound. Alright, well, the Hound, uh, also known as Sandra Clegane, comes from a relatively new uh, house in, in uh, Westeros. They got their beginnings uh, quite humbly. Uh, their grandfather was the kennel master for the Lannisters. And one day while out hunting, uh, Tito's Lannister, Jamie and Cersei's grandfather, uh, was attacked by a female lion. Now, the kennel master was out with three hunting dogs and rescued Tito's Lannister at the cost of his own leg and the death of all three dogs. Now, Tito's was still thankful 
for you know their service and bravery that he awarded him a lordship they gave him a small uh, tower southeast of the Casterly Rock where the Lannisters are from and thus began House Clegane uh, their sigil being three dogs, three black dogs on a yellow field, symbolizing the three dogs that were killed on the, the grasslands that day. So fast forward to uh, another generation, and you have uh, Sandor Clegane, the younger brother of Gregor Clegane, better known now as the Mountain. As a child, uh, the Mountain was already displaying signs of being just evil and brutish. And one day he caught Sandor playing with his little wooden night toy. Uh, the mountain did not like this and basically pushed his face into the fireplace as punishment. As uh, whether he was actually trying to kill him or simply hurt him as a symbol of, hey, don't play with my stuff, isn't really clear. But knowing the mountain, he probably meant to kill him. So we And we heard the story what, back in season two and... Him and Arya were on the road together? Yes. I believe all the way in season one, uh, Peter Baelish actually told a version of that story as well to Sansa oh, during okay. the tournament. Oh, okay. Yeah, yeah, that's right. So so it's even though he's the younger brother, he's always been bigger than uh, the Hound. Uh, no, the Mountain is bigger, is older. Oh, the Mountain is the older brother. Yeah. Oh, okay. Now, that, that leads to an interesting thing about the show, though, because uh, in the show... The mountain is actually like 26 or 27 years old in real life. Right. But he's still supposed to be playing the older brother of the mountain because the – Of the hound. Uh, the hound, I'm sorry. Um, because the mountain's being recast like three different times. That's true. The, the show started. The mountain in, in the first season when during the, the tournament was a different actor than mm -hmm. the, the one that, that was in the trial by combat with the Red Viper. Right. And then uh, there was also – uh, I believe in season two, when um, areas being held in um, Harrenhal with Gendry and Hot Pie, there's a different actor even then that's playing the mountain who's much taller and thinner and has really long hair and a beard. Uh, but he's only featured in a couple of scenes because, you know, they're trying to hide the disparity in appearance at that point before right. they then casted a full-time actor once again. Uh, Sandra Clegane now horribly scarred. Uh, hates his brother, kind of traumatized by fire. Um, grows up hating, um, you know, the whole idea of knighthood, especially once uh, San uh, Gregor Clegane gets promoted to being a knight. Um, he thinks the whole idea is kind of a farce. You know, it's it's that there's just so much hypocrisy that you know he swears he's never going to be a knight, even though he was offered a knighthood several times. Um, he goes to work for the Lannisters in order to get away from um, his brother, who is suspected of murdering their father in order to inherit their lands. Um, and that's the, not a detail that's particularly mentioned in the show, but it's it's a book detail that says that they suspect that he might have killed his father in order to inherit um, their, their uh, estate. So... The Hound thinking, you know, it's not going to be long before he tries to kill me. I'm just out of here. And he, he starts working for the Lannisters, eventually becoming the sole bodyguard of Joffrey Baratheon. Uh, from there, um, you see that, you know, he's he's somewhat evil. 
You know, he has his own code of honor, if it could be called that in the loosest sense of the word, uh, where there's things he won't do. Like when ordered to beat up Sansa, he's the only one of the people working for Joffrey that doesn't hurt her and actively tries to protect her whenever he can. Right. Um, <coughs> and eventually, you know, he, he replaces Sansa with Arya, and it's the same thing. He, he does whatever he can to protect her, keeps claiming that he only wants to sell her, but more often than not, he's actually keeping her out of danger when it seems like it would be more trouble than it's worth. So he definitely has a soft spot for these Star Girls. Um, let's see. So if we follow the events of the books now, when we first see him, season one, he's Joffrey's guardian. Was he at uh, Winterfell when they when the, yes. they showed up? I don't. I just I can't remember since it was so long ago. Yes, uh, when they're at Winterfell, you first see him uh, roll up with everyone else on horseback, and he's got his dog helm. And um, <laughs> one of the funniest scenes in the first uh, episode is when. Um, Actually, it might have been the second episode when Joffrey's making fun of the fact that um, Bran was, you know, fell out the window, and Tyrion slaps him. To which um, the Hound says he's going to remember that, you know, and Tyrion says, "Good, it'll do him well." <laughs> uh, yeah, so it seems like he had some sort of contempt for for Joffrey for being, you know, spoiled, snivelly little brat that he was, but nevertheless he was always loyal, hence one of the reasons why he was called the Hound. Right. Um you know, he served uh, dutifully alongside Joffrey Baratheon up until the Bla the Battle of Blackwater when um, you know, fighting outside of uh, the Red Keep and they use wildfire to destroy uh, Stannis's navy. Um that's when he freaks out and, and leaves, hunt. right? Yeah, he has sort of a moment where he just kind of looks like he forgets where he is, and he freaks out and just says, screw everything. I'm paraphrasing here. Um, <laughs> you know, fudge the king, you know, fudge the war, and uh, just bolts. And then um, gives Sansa the opportunity to go with him, I believe, but she says no. So he says, okay, whatever, I'm out of here. And then you don't see him again until he is captured by the Brotherhood Without Banners. <coughs> now, the Brotherhood, their original reason for being out was to go capture the mountain. Uh, way back at the end of Season 1, uh, Ned Stark sends Beric Dondarrion, uh, at the time played by a different actor, to assemble a group of men and go after the hound, or the hound, the, the mountain, because they were raping and pillaging along the riverlands. Right. Uh, the Brotherhood Without Banners then finds the, the hound, and thinks, well, you know, one Clegane is as good as another, and uh, they put him in a trial by combat with Beric Dondarrion. He survives, uh, but then again, so does Beric because of the Lord of Light. Right. Uh, and they tell him, well, you know, the Lord of Light still has some use for you, so be on your way then. At which point, he then captures Arya. Um, then they go off on their adventure. Um, through various misadventures, the Hound then gets sick. Um, looks like he'd been wounded a couple times in some battles defending Arya. And is then left to die by Arya, who 
initially planned to kill him because she was on his list and or he, he was, was on her list. Right. Yeah. Why and why was that again? Because the hound or the mountain uh, was the one that killed actually killed his father, her father. No, the well, the reason why she first got on the list was because um uh, if you remember in season 1, Arya's playing with the butcher's boy um and one of the stops that the that they're making on their way to King's Landing and um Joffrey gets hurt. Uh-huh. Now, Joffrey blames uh, her and the boy as the ones that hurt him. So it's ordered for the the hound to go after the boy who at this point is running for his life cuz he's scared. And the hound kills the boy. Uh, something which Ned Stark as well didn't appreciate. You know, that was like so unnecessary and kind of overkill. Right. Um, so already Arya saw that he was kind of a jerk and, you know, put him on her list. Um, let's see. At this point, though, in the story, when they're together and after they've had some, some adventures together, Arya is kind of conflicted and doesn't seem to want to kill him anymore. So instead, she just leaves him to die. And this, uh, that's the last we see. And that was after he fought Brienne. Right, right. Brienne and Pod come up on them and say, hey, um, I'm here to save you. And Arya's like, nah, I'm good. And the Hound's like, hey, she doesn't want to go with you. So they have a little fight. She totally kicks his butt, bites his ear off, and drops them down the side of a cliff. You know, by all intents and purposes, it looks like he's about to die. He's even asking for the gift from Arya. And she's like, nah, like, you don't deserve a clean death. Takes his money and makes it to, you know, on her way to Bravos. And that's the last we see of the mountain up until last episode. Where he is alive and sort of well, kind of limping a little bit but still as strong as ever you see that while it takes like four guys to lift one log he can do it by himself right and he's like an expert wood chopper <laughs> now he's uh it looks like he's kind of pulling a, a bit of a rambo where he's trying to leave the life behind and um you know maybe find some solace in this um new environment that he's in but you know just how Life is, you know, things just pull him right back to where he was. And that's where we are now. There you go. So let's go ahead and talk about that in, in the episode. We we see uh, the Hound has, maybe he's trying to repent for his ways. Maybe he's just trying to lay low and, and keep a low profile. <coughs> and he's hang, he's uh, helping this uh, the Faith of the Seven build a church. And it looks like it's just right there in the middle of a, a meadow in a valley somewhere. Um, did they get into where they were at? I forgot. Uh, somewhere in the Riverlands. Um, it was very pretty, pretty scenery in this episode, I have to say. Um, another thing I wanted to mention that's kind of interesting. This is a cold open episode. Yeah, and it they've was only true. done this two other times. Yeah, the only other times they've done it is in the first episode. Uh, when they introduced the Night's Watch and the White Walkers. And then uh, I believe it was the beginning of Season 4 when you see Tywin uh, melting down Eddard's Valyrian steel sword in order to forge the two other um, for House Lannister. Now, I think that that has some kind of symbolic significance in that it shows a turning point in the story. The oh. first one being that 
White Walkers have returned. The second one being that the War of the Fight Kings is over. And this one now demonstrating what we might not know yet. Yeah, but you're right. It's definitely yeah. a shift. Yeah, because yeah, a big shift. When I was watching the episode, I was like, "Wait, how come there was no uh, the, the no opening theme?" And then there and there you went right after they showed his face. You know, they had the theme, the, the 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 music play. So I thought it was very strange. And you're right. I never thought of it that way. That this, it does seem kind of like a major turning turning points. This could be the symbolism for the uh, the the beginning of the third act. If you look at it that way, you know. Yeah, there you go. So, uh, I so, like theater terms. <laughs> so there you go with uh, um, uh, he's he's hanging out with this uh, Faith of the Seventh, and uh, or Faith of the Seventh, and Ian McShane, who it was very publicly announced that he was uh, cast in this in this season, and and obviously we're gonna, we're skipping around, but spoiler, it's he dies. He's the leader yeah. of this like uh, little church group, and he's dead in one episode. Like a uh, very prominent actor, very uh, uh, very good for all accounts and purposes, and he's he, he's gone already. Just anyone can die. It's true. Any anyone can die. Uh, and and you know what? They did a lot of of character building for him in this one episode, and you know you got you got a whole backstory of who he was and what he had done in his life and. Uh, why he feels that he needs to do what he he does now to maybe expunge what it was that uh, he was before, and boom, he's hung, and and by the 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 brothers brothers without borders no, banners brothers without banners, brothers without borders. <laughs> it's kind of a doctors without borders thing. <laughs> yeah, I could see them taking donations at like hotels and inns and stuff. Um. Yeah, it's uh, like you said. He in the short amount of screen time that he had, he had like an amazing turn of like just who he was and um, his history and why he's doing what he's doing. And I really particularly like the fact that he seems to be a really down to earth um, kind of priest because you know in in his conversations with the Hound, which were some of the best in a in a show that's rife with great dialogue like his interchanges with the hound were probably some of the best where they're just discussing theology and fate and stuff very true um yeah he's thought like he seems to be the most down-to-earth septum where he acknowledges that hey who knows maybe all this faith stuff is like just a joke but you know like it can make a good person out of you if you believe in something, you know, like maybe there's no seven gods, maybe they're all the same, which kind of echoes a little bit about the faceless man philosophy that it is all the same God, just by different names. It's true. You know, and I also think it, it kind of, uh, to bring in a little bit of modern day culture, uh, and you know, it's kind of like, um, uh, 12 step programs, you know, or, you know, alcoholics anonymous. It's not so much that you need to, believe in one God. You just need to believe that there is a higher power and stuff like that. So he, the way he's treating yeah. this whole thing is that it's, it's, it's all about uh, redemption and, and uh, getting yourself out of the hole. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Uh, I and, also, um, I also, it sounds like he's getting through to the hound too. He's what? It sounds like he's getting through to the hound too. Like he actually makes them think and, Oh, very much you so. You know, like, the, the Hound's struggle is real. Like, he's he's fighting with who he was 
and who he thinks he has to be. And if anything, at least the the, the septum is making him really reflect on it. And I think that's uh, very that's a lot to do with you know uh, him being. What do you know? What his name is? Ian McShane's name was. Oh, in the subtitles it says it's Ray. Okay, it's a lot with. But Ray. he's not a book character. Uh, that was the next question I was going to ask you, but he seems like he's one of the few people that actually talks to the Hound as a as a as a normal man. You know, he's not he's not the hound to him he's not uh you know a person that he that that's despised he's not a person that's uh held up or anything he just talks to him as a normal man so it probably that's why what helps get through to the hound yeah he doesn't have any of the preconceived notions of who the hound is he just treats him as the man standing before him um it sounds like he does know who he is though oh he definitely knows who he is he just doesn't like, he doesn't he has ha- a reputation right he doesn't he just doesn't address it he yeah. doesn't address it not not now, directly. In the books, in the books, there is a Septum character, um, who this uh, who uh, Ian McShane's character sounds like it might be loosely based on, who delivers a terrific speech, and I'll have to link it to you so you can check it out, where he's talking to Brienne and Podrick about the nature of man, and he addresses the Hound by name um, during the speech, because at this point in the story, Brienne is looking for the Hound still. And um, it it looks like if once you read it, you'll see that a lot of that kind of like their expository dialogue was taken from that, but it doesn't do it justice. But <laughs> the book conversation is still very inspiring because it talks about the nature of war and the futility of combat and things like that, and it's really interesting. So I'll have to send that to you later. I definitely, I would love, I'd love to hear that. the The brothers without banners are they good? They're supposed to be, but here's something that could be a potential spoiler for future episodes if they decide to do this from the books. Uh, they might be under new management. So the guy who that the Hound fought and then was brought back to life by the Lord of Light, is he not their leader anymore? Well, he might not be, and that, that's what would lead to the next spoilery thing. I have a feeling if they decide to do this, it's going to be kind of a major reveal in the show, so I won't be too specific. Okay. Um, but yes, uh, if, if everything is going according to how they're kind of hinting, especially by the fact that Ian McShane was hung, whereas everyone else was just slaughtered, um, that is very symbolic of something that's going on in the books. And what that means is that Beric Dondarrion is no longer the leader. It's someone else, someone we've seen before, someone we also thought like the Hound was long gone, but is now back. And, um... It's someone who has a sort of vendetta against a specific house in Westeros and anyone associated with them. Hmm. Which, if you remember the speech that Ian McShane was giving about when he was a soldier, um, he makes a mention about a specific house they called uh, their banners, and he went to join the fight. And um, so now anybody associated with that particular area uh, is kind of wanted by the Brotherhood Without Banners. Okay, there you go. Uh, I would like to talk about Jon Snow and and uh, and uh, Sansa Stark right now. Yeah, they're up north. They're gaining uh, as many men as they can. It's not a lot so far. <laughs> um, and by not a lot, when we go and talk to the Mormonts. <laughs> <laughs> right, so they go to House Mormont, who at this point is being run by uh, Lyanna Mormont, named after Ned Stark's 
sister. Right. Um, who is like I think she's said to be eleven years old. She, she yeah, that's a hard eleven. <laughs> yeah. Man, that I is like, one badass little girl. The the fact that she's just like, look, put away. I don't care about your name. Just tell me what the hell you're here for. Yeah, she puts up with no BS right from the get go. <laughs> Intimidate like <laughs> someone who's faced White Walkers and Thens and Wildlings and Giants and Giants. <laughs> <laughs> and the Night's yeah. King, you know, he just he sits and yeah, and and he just he's just like, oh my god, I don't know what to do, and he's just freaking out, and and she's just like, all right, you know, you people are wasting my time, and then uh, the good old Onion Knight, the Sir Sir Bravos, comes up, and we already know he has a way of dealing with little girls. I mean, as you saw with uh, uh, Stannis's daughter that he he befriended and you know learned to read from. Uh, he, he's able to get a, he get, he gets in, he gets his little speech and he's talks, you know, he, he, he convinces her to, to don't, to give up her men, even though they've already lost men to the first time when Rob Stark came by, uh, how many men was it that they, she was able to finally give up? 62. 62 men. And that, you know, just kind of throws, it kind of throws all three of them back. Cause you got Sir Davros, Sansa and John all just like, what's 62. That's not enough. And then she just spouts right back. And what does she say? She says, um, the men from Bear Island are like 10 times the mainlanders, I believe, or <laughs> they're 10 times the warrior a mainlander is. Right. So, six... so in reality, it's more like 602 men. <laughs> 620 men. Yeah. So, yeah, I mean, I guess these are the, the Spartans of, uh, <laughs> of Westeros. So. <laughs> So there you go. They're uh, they're they, they, she's pledged those sixty two men. They're ready to fight for for Jon Snow at Winterfell, and apparently they're a force to be reckoned with. Uh, I did think it was it was. I mean, it was a great little scene for her. I mean, this little actress who uh, I'm, I'm guessing probably hasn't had too many roles before this, but just came in there and killed it. Yeah, she nailed it. She's going up on the list of like most badass characters. Although it also has to be said though, I mean, we've seen Jorah fight. And <laughs> if these warriors are anywhere near as good as him, then maybe the claim is not so outlandish cuz you're you're right. He can hold his own pretty well. And we saw his his father fight and for being an older man was able to keep his own for a little while. Yeah. But mutiny has a way to kind of yeah. get the best of us. <laughs> Obviously. <laughs> yeah. Um yeah, so, um, oh, we should also quickly mention that right before then, uh, with the Bear Mountain scene, or the Bear Mountain, the Bear Island scene, he also goes to talk to the wildlings about pledging their allegiance to him and overtaking Winterfell. Uh, to which, at first, the wildlings are apprehensive until Tormund Giant Spain steps in and kind of recounts the fact that, you know, they wouldn't be there without him, and that, you know, he's like the bravest man he's ever known speech. And all it takes to sway everyone to his side is one one the giant simply standing up and acknowledging him by saying snow and walking away. You know, you, it seems like everybody's behind the giant. Well, I mean, that's kind of a good place to be is behind the giants. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. uh, I'd have to say though, it's it's very uh, it was very interesting to hear um, Tormund's giant's bane talk in this episode because usually. His dialogue is is limited to the the comic relief or the 
saying something that, you know, very one-liners and very much, you know, uh, to the point. But he gets up and he has a very almost eloquent speech about, you know, following John and, and, and being behind him and stuff. And it was, it was, it was different. It was for that actor, or at least for, in my eyes, to to see him play this play the role this way. Yeah, he was surprisingly <laughs> diplomatic, and I have a feeling it's entirely because he wants to impress Brienne. I have that feeling too. <laughs> <laughs> oh, that was so funny. Um, yeah. But yeah, so we have the wildlings, and we have the 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 men of Bear Island. Now we head on over to uh, what was the what was the next place that he went. Uh, they went to I forget the name of the land, but it's House Glover, is the the keep there, and um, they have the opposite reaction there that they did on Bear Island. They're like, nope, we lost too many already. You have too many things going against you. Uh, you know, we pledged to the Starks. The Starks are dead. You know, have a good day. So yeah, they they he even Sansa then uh, steps in and she trying to be the regal badass that she thinks she is comes in and says, look, you pledged your house to our house a long time ago forever. And, uh, we're coming in to call on, call in our chit and you need to be there. And he kind of puts her back down. Yeah. And, uh, those were the only houses they showed there, but, um, it's, it, it, I think that was also to prove that they're in much dire need, much more dire need than they realize because not as many houses are pledging. I don't even um, I don't even know if there's that many houses left. I mean, look at which where we're gonna go to next. We go over to uh, uh, the 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 Blackfish and his standoff against uh, Jamie Lannister. Yeah, which another badass character that doesn't take any guff from anyone. <laughs> so we have Jamie Lannister and his crew, and the return of Bronn, which is awesome. Uh, yeah, I cheered. <laughs> He they pull up to um, what's the name of that castle? Do you know? Um, so what is the name of the castle? It's the the castle at River Run, right? Right. Um, so, so this I would be the name of their keep. This but, would yeah, be it's the the Tully House. The Tully House. This would be Caitlin Stark's uh, original home or home of her family or whatever. Uh, and they right away, Jamie notices that. The the these are the phrase right? Yes. The, they have absolutely no defenses, especially from the rear. They because they walk right in and they're like, "You people don't know how to do shit," and you, we easily walked up on you, and now you're trying to hostage or you're trying to uh, goat the blackfish out with the the death of his son or nephew. It's uh, Edmund Tully is his nephew. Nephew, and that would have been Caitlin Stark's cousin, brother. Brother. Okay, sorry. So (laughs) her brother, uh, and and thus he's he calls their bluff. They don't they don't follow through with the if you if you don't come out, we're gonna kill him. Right, because he pretty much knows that they're as good as dead anyway. Um, so at this point, it seems like all he's really doing is just trying to be as big an inconvenience to them as possible. Um, Edmure Tully has always been seen as kind of a buffoon by his uncle. Right. And it's not that he hates him or that he wants him dead. It's just the more like he's cutting his losses. It's like we're both dead men anyway. Like you're just delaying the inevitable at this point. Um, 
which is basically the same thing that um, he tells Jamie is that, you know, we have provisions for two years. Um, like, I know I'm dead if I surrender and you give me like you sparing my men doesn't mean anything to them. Like they're sworn to me and to my house. So, you know, if you have two years to waste, then all right, let's get this started. There you go. And that's, yeah, he's, he, he literally says we have the, we have the supplies to last out two years. Do you have two years to waste? So that was, which was a very good seat, a very good, uh, uh, line to throw out there because that's Jamie literally sit stops to think, do I really want to be here for two years? Yeah. I think he kind of really assessed the situation at that point when he has like, no, but I got my sister to bang back home. Um, where do you th- what do you think that he'll choose? What do you think that will happen there? Well, I think they're going to do whatever they can to try to get um, what's his name, the Blackfish, to to surrender. Okay. Um, I know that in the coming episode we're going to be having some more characters uh, approach the River Run, and that's going to create some interesting dynamics. You're going to have characters that haven't seen each other in a while, and who have changed since the last time they saw each other. And it's going to have an effect on things, I believe. Um, is Winter Run is, is is River Run River Run part of the North? Um, it's like on the outskirts of the North. It's more considered to be part of the Trident. Okay. Uh, which is like the Riverlands, the middle area. Um, as you can see, it's not snowing there because it's like a lot further south. Um. So, like for instance, when the Battle of the of the War of the Vikings started. Um, the phrase were neutral because they were kind of in the middle. Like they they weren't close enough to any particular house that they didn't have to swear fealty to anyone. Um, Which I also thought was interesting whereas, because the whole idea, you know, that the reason why Rob Stark is dead is because he had originally pledged to to marry one of the Freys, the Frey daughters, and then he didn't. And the only reason he wanted he had to marry one is because they needed their bridge. Right? Right. It was a, completely a political move. It was a strategic bridge in the battle for whatever reason, I guess, to get through, to get across. And uh, he he betrayed that oath or that uh, contract or whatever you want to call it. And and because of that, gets him killed. Thus, they lose the, the Battle of the Five Armies or whatever it is you just said. Uh <laughs> And I think that's the Hobbit. <laughs> that's right. So it's the Battle of the Five Kings, the, the War of the Five Kings, the, the War of the Five Kings. Sorry. So, uh, and and then the fray, you know, now the phrase have taken over, uh, or they did then go to take over the the castle at River Run, but then it's getting it gets taken back by the Blackfish, and and that's where we're at now. So would John Stark, Sansa Stark, and Sir Bravos make it as far south? As to River Run to see if they can one help uh, the Blackfish and or two get the the less the le, the, le, the last of the men at River Run to become part of their army to go against go up against Ramsay Bolton at, at Winterfell. Well, I don't think so. Not this season, anyway. I think that um, Jon Snow is going to be way too preoccupied with uh, the battle at Winterfell. Okay. And assuming, like, as soon as that's over with. Um, I believe they're going to have a whole other mess of problems to contend with. Like, it's not going to be a simple, uh, even if they win, which, I mean, they probably will, but even if they do win, it's 
not going to be as simple as okay now we go on to the next area to you know settle this conflict no i think they're going to have a problem keeping winterfell and by that point i think winter will have started to to hit this kind of a spoiler but the title of the last episode is the winds of winter which is also the title of the next book okay so um if um our predictions are correct it's it means that it's probably going to hit them hard and they're probably going to have to be stuck there for a while um and that's the best case scenario that's assuming they don't have incredible losses and also assuming that the white walkers haven't figured out a way to get through the wall fair enough so he obviously has his hands full i think that obviously Braun is going to come into play a lot more into the whatever happens at this keep and uh, hopefully we'll get to see more of him in the next few coming episodes. Oh yeah, I hope so. <laughs> <laughs> His line was probably one of the funniest in a while. Which was? Which was uh, Jamie Lannister telling him a Lannister always pays his debts, to which Bronn cuts him off right away and says, don't you fucking say it. <laughs> <laughs> it is funny I think to you think... you heard enough of that. Yeah, I was going to say, it is funny to think that, you know, he started off as the sell sword right hand to uh Tyrion and now he's uh the right hand to literally you know the the right hand to Jamie Lannister cuz he says I need you to be my right hand. Yeah. Since he I no see longer what you did there. <laughs> yeah. Does that mean Bronn has a heart of gold? <laughs> Maybe. He could be the sell sword <laughs> with the heart of gold. Which then Fair I enough. which then uh would like I'd like to go over to um the the Iron Bank, the uh, what's Bravos, Bravos, yes, yes, where we we meet up with Arya Stark, who with her stealing thieving skills up to one hundred is able to take a few pouches of gold, find find herself a, uh, a ship captain, and 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 pay him to take her back to Westeros. Yeah, it looked like she was all ready to go. Had her packs, like bags packed, and had the money. Not only did she have the money, she also had a separate bag of money <laughs> to convince him because the first bag of money she somehow knew wasn't going to be enough. <laughs> this is very true. So yeah, and, and then it wasn't. It was. I don't. I didn't quite understand what he said to her at first, but then she's like, "Nope, I'm going to have my own cabin, and we're leaving tomorrow." Oh yeah, I think he said something like, "Yeah, you can sleep in storage or something." Oh okay. Like the... <laughs> and she was like, "Nope, actually, this is how it's going to be." And she was really uh, in control of the whole situation, really confident. I really like that about that part of her. Um, she even dressed differently. She was much more like sophisticated in a way. Like her hair was done. She had clean clothes. Yeah, very true. It was very interesting. She was wasn't her usual like rags and ratty hair and dirty face. Which obviously just called out called out to you. You know that they're gonna be coming after you. Why would you make it so that you stuck out so much instead of just blending in? And right after that you see an old lady walk up to her and says, Oh, young pretty girl and boom stabbed to the gut. <laughs> she should have seen that coming a mile away. Oh yeah. Uh, just standing out in the open, admiring the scenery, and yeah, like a never old lady that looks like the witch from Snow White approaches you. It can't be good. <laughs> now, what did um, you think about in particular? Because this is the the young girl that obviously never liked Arya, constantly was, and we I I just assume it's a young girl. It could just I mean that was just the persona that they were 
they had her being constantly because we know that she they can take on other faces. Anyways, uh, you know, she never really liked her, never believed that she could do it, and uh, Jock Jocker? Jockin. Jockin said to her, you know, make it fast, you know, don't make her suffer. And she could have, she could have easily just cut her neck right there, but no, she, she sliced her across the abdomen and then turned her around and, and, and stabbed her in the gut a bunch of times, thus not making it quick. And she twisted the knife. Too. <laughs> and she twisted the knife. Yeah. Which, you know, yeah. as I remember from uh face off, if you stab someone and twist the knife, it's harder <laughs> for the wound to heal. So, uh, oh, the then, way he opened that butterfly knife was so cringing too. <laughs> like that's not how those work. <laughs> <laughs> well, you know, George Volta. He, anyway, you got to let him yeah. get away with some stuff. But anyway, yes. She then throws her in the water or no, I'm sorry. Uh Arya throws herself into the water. Yeah, even though she's being attacked and gut punched and in this totally vulnerable position, she still finds a way to fight back, defend herself a bit in order to get away. Um now she manages to swim away. Uh, as far as we know, the waif probably thinks she's dead because she waits a little while, sees the blood, and then doesn't see the body pop up. So she's kind of smiles to herself with some sort of you know satisfaction. Right. Um, a lot of really interesting questions are raised by this. The fact that it looks like she enjoyed it. Um, there's, you know, is the waif also a faceless man or is she in training just like Arya? Like, is she just slightly higher in, in like, position maybe right like maybe she's a a green belt to aria's white belt or something <laughs> maybe she started the whole process sure. a month before yeah she has seniority but only by a little bit right um but this is leading to a ton of speculation online so much so that i almost don't even want to talk about it because some of it is kind of dumb and if it happened to be true i would hate the show i you know um, what i i want i want you to to put it out there i want to hear it i mean it's it is only speculation, so it can't really be considered a spoiler. I would I would love to hear what some people on the internet are having to say, on, or at least on Reddit. Okay, well, one of the biggest ones so far is that uh, the Waif is not a real person, and it's actually a uh, like fractured personality of Arya, and all of it that we see happening on screen is actually um, the internalization of Arya trying to kill her identity in order to truly commit to the faceless men. So fight club. Yes, exactly. <laughs> um, the other theory is that, um, that it wasn't Arya that got stabbed. <clears throat> that oh. it was either Jock and Hagar, uh, dressing up like Arya in order to get the, you know, to, to distract the waif and sacrifice himself. Um, or Arya somehow disguised someone else uh, as herself in order to basically, you know, give the faceless men their face for the, the wall. But, you know, she gets away. I don't like that particular theory because that would be no better than her killing someone that was innocent, like the, the actress at the theater troupe. Um, nevertheless, that's one that's been thrown around. And then the third one is that Arya knew all along that she was going to get targeted by the Waif, and she actually used tips from the actress in order to fake uh, being vulnerable. Uh, they're saying that if you look carefully at some of the scenes where she's wearing that brown outfit 
you know, right before she gets stabbed, her stomach looks like it has patty. It looks a little bigger than it normally would on her. Uh, and they compare it to other scenes where she, you know, it's it looks much tighter around her stomach. So they're saying that she's pretending to have, you know, been stabbed in order to fake her death for, uh, you know, and, and basically make them think she's dead and that way she can get on with her life. Okay, so... Now, that one also doesn't really work because somehow they know when somebody that's being targeted is, has finally died. Um, it hasn't been really explicitly mentioned in the show, but it's almost like a sixth sense, like when when they don't kill who needs to be killed and another life has to take its place, somehow they just know. That's the same way that Chuck and Hagar was like, hey, you saved three lives, so now I owe you three lives for the many face god. Um, you know, like, who's really keeping track of this? How would you really know, you know? So there, there's some way that they haven't really revealed that they just know, and so therefore that wouldn't work. Arya should know that, that faking her death wouldn't work. So... Um, the last one, which is probably one of the more hard to believe but the most wanted by the internet, is that Cyril Forel is in the background uh, during a lot of this uh, Arya's time in Bravos, and he's going to be making an epic comeback and save Arya from the waif. Interesting. There's a couple of hints in the book that suggest something like that, although George R. R. Martin has made it clear that Cereal is dead. Um, as we've learned from characters that die off-screen, you never can trust 100% that they are dead. Right. So, I mean, I, so, obviously, I, I thought that when uh, she was being stabbed, and once she finally got out of the water, I, I did think that she was going to pull maybe a wineskin out from underneath her her uh, her tunic, and, and it was going to be that was what was bleeding, but Obviously, she goes walking down the street, and she's still bleeding, and she's looking at everybody's face, which is indicative of the fact that she can't trust anybody because she no you know nobody's face is is uh, innocent. Like it, it could be anybody behind any one of those faces, and obviously yeah, they're going to have spies it, everywhere. They could have spies anywhere. Um, so I, I don't know. I I, I, I mean, obviously, I, I don't want her. I don't want her to die. But you know, that's what happens in the show. So. Yeah, um, one theory that I kind of came up with is that, and this is based on nothing, it's just me trying to, like, seeing all these ridiculous theories online just made me think, well, I can come up with my own stupid theory. <laughs> so here's mine. Uh, she's going to come across a red priest, and they're going to look into her eyes and see the same thing that Melisandre saw, you know, way back when they first met. Right. And be like, oh... Uh, the red god still has need for you or use for you. You're not supposed to die yet. And then brings her back to life or keeps her from dying. That's my theory. It's based on nothing. I just wanted to throw one in there because, hey, why not? Okay. Well, <laughs> there, it's, there. What if... Huh. I have a stupid, crazy theory then now, too. And I think it's something that we talked about offline last week or two weeks ago. So I don't want to say it here. But it has a little bit to do with a theory that another theory that you you threw out there that's kind of a spoilerish. So we won't talk about it right now. Okay. Uh, but uh, I think the last part of the episode or the part that we haven't talked about was uh, has to do with um, Cersei and the Tyrells and uh, Marjorie again. Right. Yeah. You get the first the confirmation that 
uh, Marjorie hasn't actually drunk the Kool-Aid, but is actually really expertly fooling everyone. So what do you, what do you, what do you take as the picture of the flower meaning? I mean, maybe it, it, maybe it means something that I just don't know, but I didn't quite get it. Well, the, that flower specifically is the symbol of House um, Tyrell, which is the, the rose. Okay, which makes and, sense because they're from High Garden. Right. And my takeaway from that scene, and especially the way it was shot, and, you know, that she, you know, secretly handed it off to her grandma while telling her all these things about the faith and how you should leave and all that stuff. It's telling the grandma, in my opinion, that I'm still me. You know, what matters is family. Um, and this is just an act. So, you know, they're, de- they're, she's talking in code. She's definitely telling her something. Um, what that is, 100%, I can't say for sure. But the grandma got the message, and she's like, okay, I better get out of here. Um, but she knows what she's doing. I have to trust her. You know, she's still her. She's, she hasn't, you know, been brainwashed. Like, she's making everyone else seem to believe. Um, on a similar note, it seems like the High Sparrow might be suspicious of her. Because, um, you know, he he did the whole, hey, sit down by my side and let me tell you a story or something, uh, yet again. And she mentions that, you know, she hasn't been feeling particularly romantic lately. Because, you know, as guys are, you know, want to do, Tom and seem to have blabbed that, you know, they haven't had sex in a while. Right. Um, which is really uncomfortable to think of, you know, saying that to your priest. But this is Westeros, so I guess anything goes. Right, and, and obviously and said, siring a, a, a son is very important to any uh, lineage, I guess. Yes, because even though it's it was relatively easy to, you know, convert these people, it's much easier to be indoctrinated from birth. Right. So you need to start creating that new generation that's all about the faith militant right away. Um yeah, so he tells her, like, hey, it's your duty. It's not a matter of whether you feel the desire or not. Like, you know, <coughs> the faith says, you know, all you have to do is have patience and just, you know, be there and take it. Basically, to uh, which, keep calm yeah, and think and she, of England. <laughs> yeah. And um, so Marjorie's all like, well, I will do what I can. But, you know, you can kind of tell that internally they're butting heads while on the outside she's – you know, agreeing with him, I guess, you know, just trying to go with the flow and not be discovered that she doesn't actually believe any of this. And I think one of the biggest suspicious things about that is the fact that she's taken so well to memorizing the, the, uh, their, their Bible for lack of a better term. I don't know what they call their book. Um, kind of in a way that an actor would memorize lines, right? And like she seems a little too good at reciting back some of that stuff. True. So yeah, that um, then you have the exchange with Cersei and um, Olena Tyrell, <laughs> in which Olena says, "I think you might be the worst person I've ever known." <laughs> I'm like, wow, that's a good way to summarize Cersei in like one sentence. Yeah, that's pretty true. Uh, yeah, Cersei then. Go, go ahead. ahead. No, let's go ahead. Oh. Cersei then uh, tries to say, we need to combine our forces. Um, yeah, I know I screwed up, but uh, now I want to make it right. To which uh, Olena Tyrell's like, yeah, the only enjoyment I'm getting all of, out of all of this is the fact that 
you did screw up so royally and um i don't want anything to do with this you know you've you've ruined what we had going on and i'm out of here so it seems like Cersei's pretty much on her own, you know, based on the fact that she resorted to who was essentially her biggest uh, rival and enemy within King's Landing for help and said, get lost. So I think the interesting thing that here is that Cersei is obviously losing her grip. She's losing her grip on her son, her kingdom, her family, her brother. Basically, everything that she had is now gone, almost all gone. The next thing she has to look forward to is look forward to or, you know, have to worry about is her trial by combat that's going to be coming. And she she seems to act like she's not worried about it. She's got the mountain on her side to do her bidding. But as we know, uh, as you pointed out, that there has people there has been one person that has bested the mountain in, in, in fighting. So uh, that could, I mean, it obviously could uh, it could go either way. What do you think happens yeah. if she loses her trial by combat? Um, well, that's a good question. Um, she's the kind of person that craves control and losing control <coughs> of her son, uh, her power, her kingdom. I think it's going to push her over the edge. And um, we've seen once before that when faced with possible defeat, she'd rather kill herself. Right. Uh, back when the Stannis of was close to or Blackgate, yeah, yeah, the, and um, I mean, she's been through so much since then that I think it would only multiply her desire to just nuke it all. Um, and you have to remember, she still knows that there's a whole stash of wildfire hidden in uh, King's Landing. That's right, I forgot about so, that. I I think she's got that scorched earth mentality. If she were to lose everything, then She'd have nothing to lose. You know, so, so, what is the name of the Lannisters' homeland? It's Casterly Rock. Casterly Rock. Okay. So right now, Casterly Lock Rock is supposed to be under control by her uncle, right? Who is the hand of the king right now? Yes. Um, Tyrion wanted it, but uh, Tywin wouldn't give it to him. And technically, Jeremy, Jeremy, Jamie, <laughs> Jamie can't claim it because you know when he joined the. Kingsguard, he's supposed to give up all those rights. However, now that he's no longer a Kingsguard, um, it is possible that he can get it back, but it hasn't been made clear yet if he's going to get it back from Kevin Lannister or if uh, Tommen has to sign some kind of decree saying that he's the official um, you know, uh, inheritor of that property now. But with you said his name was Kevin? The it's Yeah, it's, it's they, I've heard him pronounce it Kevin, but it's spelled like K-E-V-A-N. So it looks more like Kevan. Okay. Well, Kevin. Either way, Uncle Lannister is, yeah. as he's being the right hand, or the hand of the king, uh, who is, do we know who it is that's over there making decisions? Uh, it hasn't been stated, but it's probably a council. Probably okay. like their maester and some kind of steward. Okay. But it hasn't been explicitly mentioned who is currently in control. So there's no other nephews or anything that's back there that might be causing trouble? Uh, no one that's been named yet, as far as I know. Okay. Okay, well, there you go. Is there any other parts of the episode that we missed? Uh, yeah, it looks like uh, in their resounding you know, refusal or uh, 
denial of many of the houses of the north, Sansa finally resorted to possibly writing a letter for help to Littlefinger. Oh, that's right. Yeah, some people on Reddit who are much more talented and have more time to kill than I do have actually free-streamed several shots of that scene, inverted them, and enhanced the writing <laughs> to try to make out what the wording says. I've heard about this, so what and it, What have they come up with? Well, it basically says, uh, if you want to make things right, you know, we need the army, and you will get your just reward afterward. You know, so it, it sounds very much like she's writing to tie to uh, Littlefinger, asking for the knights of the or the soldiers of the Vale or knights of the Vale, right? I'm sorry, you cut out. What was the question? He, he, she's asking for the knights of the Vale. Yes, um, with the knights of the Vale, it could definitely turn the tide. At least give them a fighting chance. Um, no insult to the bears of, you know, Bear Island, but um, <laughs> they probably do need a few more than 62 men and however many wildlings they have. I think I, it's like two or 3,000 wildlings. Yeah, I think that's what they, I remember him saying, with 2,000 wildlings. So yeah, that, there so. you go. That's uh, very interesting. And so if you think about it, it's also kind of like Jon Snow is in the same position that Jamie Lannister is. He's going up against a army that's inside of a keep, whereas you're the army on the outside and, you know, the person behind the walls is usually a lot better uh, staffed in warfare than, or has the better position than the person on the outside of the walls. However, you also have to remember, this is John and Sansa's home. This is And true. they know it better than the Boltons do. So they, there might be some so, secret yeah. entrances or uh, secrets to, to, the, to Winterfell that, that Ramsay Bolton just doesn't know about. Yeah, or simply just know where the better areas to access it are or something to that effect. Um, plus, you have a giant on your side, so that's got to <laughs> count for something. I mean, he was able to bust in through Castle Black like the Kool-Aid man, so who's to say you won't do that at Winterfell? <laughs> and his arrow, I remember when, when he shoots that arrow and it takes out the dude from the top of the wall and he, shoots, he lands in the, on the ground, right? Yeah, so it takes more than just a a crossbow bolt in the back to take him down. Although, I'm kind of fearing for his life now. Because, uh, I don't know, Ramsey might get really excited at the prospect of flaying a giant. <laughs> uh, too true, too true. Okay, so there you go. There's the the broken man. I, I'm, I'm assuming that refers to uh, the hound in the episode, but uh, maybe I, I'm just not looking deep enough. It could be someone else uh what do you uh expect for the next episode uh the next episode i think this is speculation on my part i don't i haven't seen any anything online reporting and confirmation but i have a feeling stannis is gonna or not stannis um sir davos is gonna find out what happened to shireen because they're back at the camp where stannis was originally before they sieged winterfell okay and it's not too far from there where, you know, they burned Shireen alive, sadly. And um, I don't know why. I can just see a scene in my head playing out where he's kind of wandering around the, the grounds and he sees a little ash pile, walks over, and then comes across her little toy that he had made for her. It was like a little wooden horse, I think, or deer. I can't remember. Right. Might have been a deer. Which um, would make sense because he was – No. Yeah, because the house of Baratheon is a stag, right? Yeah, which would then make him realize what happened to her, 
and that Melisandre would have been responsible, thus creating a rift once again in their relationship. Fair enough. Okay. So. John, where can people reach you? I am on Twitter at Magic Bollocks. Bollocks like, never mind the bollocks, it's the Sex Pistols. <laughs> and uh, Facebook, John Camarena, as well as, you know, continuously contributing and commenting on Geek Elite Radio on Facebook. There you go. That's, uh, I am at Agent underscore of the underscore bat on Twitter. We have at Geek Elite Radio on Twitter. And as he said, their Geek Elite Radio Facebook page is where you can do most of our uh, community talk. So, <coughs> excuse me. Make sure to check out uh, geekleetradio.com, our website for archived podcasts of this particular podcast and uh, other podcasts from the network. But until next week, this has been the Geeks Watch on Geekleet Radio Network saying always remember to geek out. Geek out. We now return you to your regularly scheduled programming.